The affection is fleeting, but my heart's still bleeding out. Cause I see you before me, but could you adore me Welcome to the Crash Chords Podcast. We have a special episode this week. Uh, we originally said that we were going to be reviewing an album, but instead we've decided to take a different route. Like when we had a large band on before, we had the Wasties on. Um, we did a straight-up interview show. We're going to do that this week with Circadian Clock, who's here. Who you just heard. Yes, of course. I'm Matt. I'm, I'm here with... I'm John. Okay. You're always here with me. You're That's not true. You're arguing over this? I'm Steve. And we're here with Circad- three of the five members of Circadian Clock. My name's Ari. I'm the guitarist. I'm Melissa. I sang. I'm Mike D. I'm the bass player. And um, the members who are missing are your keyboardist and your drummer, correct? Yes. Um, we wish they could be here with us, and maybe next time we'll get the whole fiver in studio. Try and anticipate what they would say, and then fill in for them as we go. You don't Mostly want to know. Mostly hyperactive shit. It's All right. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll mess with the voice, maybe. <laughs> so I wanted to, of course, promote the first track that we introed the podcast with. It's the title of their EP, which is Someone Out There Loves You After All, which we uh, started the episode with. There will be some more songs later on by them as well. Um, we're happy to have you guys on, um, and I appreciate you taking the time. As I was saying off the air, um, two of Melissa's friends had reached out to me about Chicadian Clock, Independently, Lewis, who I write with for Broken Records Magazine, who I've mentioned before, and a college friend of mine named Stephanie, both independently sent me emails about them going, hey, you have a music site, you should check out this band. And I did, and I see why, because um, I fell in love with their EP right away and um, was on a quest to get them on the show since. And also, this is the second time we are interviewing a band or guest artist in general who I think may have been better than the album we were originally planning to review. So there's a little compliment. Oh. <laughs> oh, thank you. As someone who is really obsessed with my chem, that really, that, oh. Ah. Yes, we were originally planning to do My Chemical Romance and their album uh, Danger Days, what's the colon following that? The True Lies of the Fabulous Killjoys. Yes, in general. Part two. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we forewent an, an actual analysis here, but now it's just all about them, these guys. So uh, I guess we'll start with the typical, um, how did you guys start the band? Obviously, Melissa, you had said off the air that you had had actually a different rotation of band members originally, but how did Circadian Clock come to be? Okay, basically... Um, I had met Wes, who was the original drummer of this band, when I was in the sixth grade, and we both went to music camp because we were both fucking nerds. And we became <laughs> friends because I was wearing goth pants, and she was wearing a uh, The Used shirt, and I was just like, hey, I like your shirt. She was like, hey, I like your pants. And then we became best friends. Uh, we started a band together because we both like System of a Down, and then uh, she egged me on, and she was like, I bet you can't even write like a single song. Like You can't even finish it. Like You're so unfocused, you can't do it. And because of her, I was able to actually do it, and I really owe that to her. Like Maybe I'm, I might not have been a songwriter if it were you know not for her pushing me. And this is what age again? Um, well, I was in like, the eighth grade, so how old are you then? Like, what? Twelve? Thirteen, fourteen, I think, yeah. Yeah, around Ooh. then. So um, around then, I started to be able to actually you know, finish songs, and then... I found bandmates out at high school. Uh, I met Ayumi through Wes, and Ayumi's still part of our band. She's a keyboardist who's not here with us today, but she's still in the band. And then um, I met Ayumi through Wes through the summer camp. And then uh, I went to high school with Louie, and then uh, we had a rotation, a long rotation of different uh, guitarists, you know, all good people who carried us throughout the years. But, um, you know, about, you know, we, we did this for a long time, and then about, like, a year ago, I was like, I need to, you know... I felt like we weren't really getting anywhere, and I was like, you know what, I need to, like, you know, step up my game. Like, I really want to do something real. So what it was is around the time when we were recording this EP, um, I was originally going to release a three-song EP. But then um, I was talking to my boss, Bernadette, who works at Nightlife Productions, which is the recording studio and entertainment company that uh, both Ari and I work at. And uh, I told her I wanted to release a three-song EP, and she was like, well, if it's an EP, you have to release at least four. And I was like, oh, crud. Like, I, would, I didn't plan that, like, at all. This is terrible. (laughs) I am doing my best to be civil and kind. (laughs) So, crud. Crapsicles. So, no, but I I was like, oh man, I I really didn't prepare like a, like a, you know, anything. So I I took a song that I'd written, you know, real quick as like a a cute little love note to someone. And uh, I made that the fourth song, but I needed someone to play on it. And my guitarist, who was in the band, uh, Drew, at the time, was pretty busy. So I was just like, hey, Ari, you know, would you mind doing it? And he was like, yeah. So it, it was like, you know, that more than anything. I spent so much time on the other tracks that that track more than all the other ones. People kept coming back to me and they're like, you know, I actually really like this track. Which kind of hurt my feelings because I only spent like five <laughs> minutes writing it as opposed to like the many hours and days I spent writing the other ones. But whatever, I think it's always like that. 
But I asked Ari later at a, like a different time. I was like, when I was taking it more seriously, I was just like, hey Ari, can do you want to like draw my band? And he said yes, and I I was so surprised because Ari's such a legitimate guitarist that I was like, oh, like the the track that you just heard, someone out there loves you after all. That's not even Ari on it. Later you're gonna hear this track, Brightside, that's got Ari and Mike on it. But uh, when I asked him Ari to join the band, I was just like, well, I gotta take it seriously now for real. Like this is like a real band now. And then. I saw Mike performing for this other band called Ampersand and like he just had so much energy and so much life that I was like that's great and that's like an extra component of something I didn't have like I saw in both of them something I didn't have that I felt would really really add a lot to the band so I asked them both to join they both said yes and my life has been fantastic since well it's funny um, I find that when I really get into a band sometimes it's from the live energy saying that you saw energy in them that you might not have seen yourself a lot of artists that I feel like compelled to talk to or find out more about or go that extra mile with their music other than just listening to it are the ones that I see like live videos or YouTube videos and they've got this energy that you can't even explain. Um, I think that really sells the music too, especially for a live experience. And you all were of uh, comparable age at the time, generally, right? Um, Even though you filtered in sort of one by one. Most of you comparable? (laughs) Most of you? Close enough. Okay, close enough. (laughs) In general, though, uh, coming from such like a, a, a youthful place, I imagine you weren't surrounded by a lot of like uh, competition of your age so how did that how did that feel for you at the time just being a young band trying to make it as a serious band because I know so many uh, other artists who as of that age they're basically just doing it to have fun and have a joke but for you guys it was real mm-hmm. how do you grapple with that well for us it was real when I was like you know younger but I think at the time really I was really thinking about um I had taken it very seriously in my heart but in my actions I wasn't like it wasn't really showing and I had worked really hard on having like you know a great compositional bit like I've been studying classical music for a really long time and um, that really showed in my music but like in the way that we played and the way that we sounded you know we didn't rehearse enough we weren't tight enough like you know I wouldn't say I mean I would say that we were in a lot of a couple of ways like you know like ahead but in a lot of ways we you know we're kids still and it still showed in our stuff like we had other people that were interested in us that were you know older and experienced in the field and they were just like yeah keep working on it because they saw like elements that could be good but I don't think we were ever really particularly I mean I always thought I always was a little bit jealous of my friends who were just uh, in bands that for fun because for them it was just totally fun and they could take it or leave it but for me it was always this kind of like obsession and um, it still is but now I take it even more seriously like as time goes on it becomes this like more and more serious thing and I don't mean that necessarily in like a negative sense because I, I enjoy having something that's worthwhile you know like something to it's not that exactly that I'm obsessing over it so much like something that I, I really want genuinely that I can't it's not like guaranteed of course well, just to get a sense where the, where the professionalism pokes through there, both at that age and also now, you mentioned you were classically trained. That's what I kind of want to find out. What's the experience all around the table? I guess start with you, considering you mentioned the classical training. Uh, what did that entail as of the time? I went to, um, well, okay, I went to PSN 73, which is, you know, first school I ever went to. They had a violin program there. When I was uh, graduating from that school and going to a different school at fourth grade, they had a... Uh, they were like, well, you know, she's good at music. We want to make sure she can continue. So they sent me to ISO. So I joined an orchestra there, but then I couldn't read music, even though I had a good playing level. So they sent me to Manus College of Music. And then I went there at the preparatory division of there for 10 years. And then I also went to LaGuardia um, High School. And then I studied private lessons there this whole time. And I studied music theory and analysis. And then I also went to, now I go to college and I've still been studying music this whole time. So, and I like analyze music 
for fun. Like that kind of stuff. Kind of like, like what we do. Yeah. 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 Sounds like, like what I do. Right <laughs> yeah. Hey, we do it too. We do it too. <laughs> What's our pegiate mean again? Don't even start. Pegiation. A chord played as a string of notes instead of harmonically stacked. The more you know. Um, what about you, Ari? How did? When did you start getting involved with music? Well, I was nine or so when I started playing guitar, and I was taking lessons, private lessons, for a while, um, and learning the basic stuff: Mel Bay fingerstyle, and a little bit of flamenco, and a little bit of like Clapton stuff. And then I was my gateway band was Green Day, and I, I could probably go and gush about them as much as Mel can about my chem but uh my chemical romance um but so i was with this uh instructor for a while and then i started playing in bands when i was like 13 14 punk bands hardcore bands and didn't take lessons for a while and got another private instructor an amazing jazz blues fingerstyle acoustic guy um, named paul paul asbell from vermont and uh this was kind of near the end of high school and he kind of suggested pursuing music. He's like, well, you know, maybe you should think about it. And I thought about it for a while. And one night I had my epiphany. And uh, I was like, well, okay, well, yeah, I will take it a little more seriously. And he, he, you know, we started talking about music school. And then he suggested Berkeley. And he suggested Rochester and Eastman and blah, blah, blah. But Berkeley was the one that kind of, like, stuck with me. And so I checked it out. And went on the tour and applied and auditioned and was accepted and went to Berkeley and studied guitar performance and then moved to New York and kind of was like, well, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I kind of want to just do some session work. I kind of want to do some of this and production. And that's kind of what happened. And New York today. Oh, New York's cool. one of those places where you can actually get into that, where you can a kind musician of, can show up and start doing things almost from the get-go. Yeah, I mean, you can. The opportunities are there. It's a crazy place, and you have to set yourself up for it. You can't just be lucky. You have to like work hard to build that luck up, but things can happen, you know. So. And what about you, Mike? Well, I mean, when I was a kid, I wanted to play music at like as, as early as like nine, ten years old. But uh, my family was kind of like, "That's impractical. You shouldn't do that. Stick with math and science." So whatever on that, but um, I had an uncle who played bass, so I spent a lot of my time as like an 11, 12-year-old in his room listening to like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Primus, Fight, Man of War, Black Sabbath, of course. picked up a book and just like taught myself how to play bass um, and like fell in love with that shit, like mad hard. Um, all through high school, played in... Hardcore bands, punk rock bands, metal bands Started throwing my own showcases um, And then um, You know Decided at some point I took advice of a, of a good friend of mine uh, she, she told me Because I taught all my friends how to play An instrument in high school that I should probably Pursue, pursue music and be a teacher So then I was like alright cool I'm gonna go study music And met a couple of pretty righteous Players um, and now I'm getting my graduate degree in music ed. And if it wasn't for um, going as Hunter, I wouldn't have met Mel and uh, been in this band. So it's just been like a long love affair that, w as far as music and me are concerned. That's, that's some pretty steep uh, stepwise motion right there. So yeah. at what point uh, did it occur where uh, it suddenly was deemed practical <laughs> as well, opposed to impractical? By myself? By yourself and others. 
well... Although it sounds like you had your mind made up already, so I guess it's more other sense. Well, you know, I always say you gotta go with what you feel is good for you. I mean, no one can tell you what to do. Um, and you learn that when, like, you wind up, like, I got a little sister, so, like, when you, like, look at, like, somebody else grow up, and you're like, nah, you shouldn't do that. You're like, wait, I can't tell them not to do that. So, you know, <laughs> you're like... So, I don't know. I To me, it was just always... It wasn't a question. I knew I can, like, listen to music and just want to be in there. I'd watch Slipknot videos and Korn videos, and I would just, like, see that as my future somewhere in my in my head. And, like, it just never died as a dream for me, so... Sounds like it stacked up pretty fortuitously, fortuitously for all of you, considering it was like, well, this is what you believe is fun to do and this is what you seem to be think you were the best at at the time so uh that's you kind of don't hear that from too many bands that's like the perfect story for each of you around the board it's a ridiculous notion actually to like go into music and try and pursue it professionally like even if you're you, you have a knack for it i mean and even if it's what you're what you feel like you have to do the odds are stacked against you but you do it because you're you know you can't do anything else you don't have a choice well, yeah. the three of yeah. you kind of lost your choices when you were very young kids. I mean, uh, the oldest was 14, 13. You, you were teaching yourself the, uh, the bass. Yeah, yeah. And it, the, when I was four, I you weren't even you weren't even teens when you yeah. started. I didn't to learn know this that stuff. it was an option that I had like other options. Like I like liked music so much as a kid. Like when I was before I even started school and ever like touched an instrument, my parents told me that I used to just like run around my house like singing songs that I would make up, and they would have like chord resolutions. They would like make sense <laughs> and have like sections and stuff. So I, like before I knew that like jobs were a thing, I was like, I'm gonna be that guy. So. <laughs> Well, you also, all three of you describe different aspects. I mean, you're coming from punk, jazz, rock, garage stuff to classical training. I mean, I assume and I know from just listening to your music, all this has actually influenced you. You, you seem to be blending a, a bunch of different genres together. Uh, how does, like, how are you pursuing that and why, how do you think it's actually influencing you to have so many, to have such diversity in where each of you is coming from? I want to actually just add something to that just real quick, just because uh, obviously it's true you do have many influences you go, but would, would you ever have perceived yourself as of the time you started as a particular genre? I always had trouble picking a genre from when we started, but we when we started we were kind of a, we were a different band. I think we went closer to the progressive side because I listened to, when I was like, when I started the band and I, I would historically wrote all the music and I write most of the music, although we just got a new song that Mikey wrote and I'm excited for that. Cool. That'll be at a, the bitter end that we're doing on December 19th, which will be fun. Birthday it's, party. It's birthday party show for Mikey. Mikey. But, um, uh, but before that, all the songs we have, uh, I wrote. And um, what was the point of this one? Oh, figuring out a genre. Right, genre. Um, so I'd written all the music, and I was like, I'd really listened to a lot more like Queen and um, Muse this time. Mm. So like, I was very much into like trying to make this like giant classical thing, and I was really into classical music because all I was playing was classical music. I was playing like you know, Vivaldi, Tchaikovsky, Chopin, like you know. Rachmaninoff. I was getting really into that. That's advanced stuff to uh, enter into a rock band. Did she mention that she's like a freaking violinist? Virtuoso. No, this is actually, you know, I was trying to recall whether you introduced yourself as at the beginning of the podcast, you introduced yourself as singer. Well, you sing for the band, but then you started mentioning, well, you had uh, a a course of influences Um, that you gradually started. I'm playing the violin for, um, I'm 20, 
18 years. Don't think it yet. <laughs> <laughs> Give your age We're all significantly older, I'm sure. No, I just, I'm just terrible at math. <laughs> I've been playing the violin for 18 years. No, we're just dancing around um, your age. It's comparable yeah. words like that. You know. um, no, I've been playing the violin for 18 years, uh, classically trained... So that's been like my, I, it's funny cause like I, I've spent all this time playing the violin, but it's like not, I love playing the violin. I really, really do, but it's not the thing I want to do with my life. Like right. I, I played in the classical sphere for so long and I would see how like a lot of classical musicians would get stuck in this way of thinking like these musicians were the greatest musicians and these pieces are the greatest pieces and this is the greatest genre of music and these chord progressions are the most important chord progressions. And I was just like, I disagree with you. I don't think that's valid. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're like, I think all this music is beautiful and important. And I think there's amazing things that I've learned a lot. And I think it kind of shows in the way that I write music. Because uh, I'm very deliberate in the way that I compose. But like, I think it's important to understand purpose. Like Beethoven wrote music the way he did, not because that was objectively the greatest art form, because at the time, those are the tools most readily available to him, both from a compositional standpoint and from an arrangement standpoint, like orchestras, piano, chamber arrangements were the things, his options. He didn't really have many more options. This is essentially what we talk about for 121 episodes now to date, <laughs> is this kind of thing. It's very important to discuss context when it comes to work, the context in which uh, a particular artist wrote a given work and not necessarily, you know, what it means in terms of the, the, the canon of music as of its time. That's probably not what was going through the artist's head. So, of course, that's that's got to be pivotal. And, and to bring it back to you really quickly, this is, uh, in your case, I think evident in, in your melodies themselves, because I hear the classical training there. I, I could easily see, for instance, just how the, how a violin melody could 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 be ascribed either toward your vocal melodies or or transcribed from your vocal melodies. And within that, there's a great deal of complexity, but at the same time, also a lot of emotion. For instance, you make lots of use of of, of tuplets, even just in uh, uh, your. Your your main single, and that was um, which you did the the music video for. No, Bright side. That was Bright side. Yes. And that is is extremely intricate. At the same time, really like grounded in this just this rawness where you can't take your ears off the melody itself. Do you find that the classical influence was there, or as the artist in question, do you think that it was a little bit more straight from the ether? It's just, it's more ether. I mean, I'm sure that all of my classical training and the analysis I do for music contributed a lot to what the ether pulls from. Mm. But I think that, I honestly was just like, honestly, the way I wrote Brightside, I wrote that song pretty quick too. I was just like, man, all my songs are real heavy. I need something that's a little he less heavy. I wrote that down and I was like, no, it's self. Write a song on that later. And that's literally how that song got written. Ah, oh, but that's the riff. I'm talking about the melodies later. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the, the melodies very later, intricate I just, work. I just listened to the riff and I was like, okay. And then it, that, it all just comes. When I write music, it doesn't typically comes in like bursts, like particularly this one. But I know I'll start with one line and then I'll kind of like, you know, I'll write another line um, that kind of will be sort of complimentary to that. Really, I kind of enjoy writing things when I stack them on top of each other because then I get to look at, you know, what is the intervallic distance? What is the harmonic structure? How long does this section run? What does this section serve? Why did I write it like this? Like, what am I trying to accomplish? How can I accomplish that through the combination of the harmony, the rhythm, the melody, and how they interact with each other? And how will that make people feel? And how does that make me feel? And that's what really shows through, I think, uh, in your song, specifically this 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 matter of, of getting both sides of the coin out there, you know, both the, the relatable and also the, the highly intricate. Because on one hand, you get, you know, these artists where it's all just about 
you know that singular riff that which is it's it, it's great but a lot of songs would just leave it at that a lot of artists would just leave it at that and that's the sole focus of the song and that's all you have to deal with it's fun but in many ways it it, it lacks that whole other thing and that 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 other stuff that you incorporate I think is really important. Other artists would be more prone to just going so internalized, so intricate that they leave the the audience out. And I think you bring those two things together, which is really evident in your work. I think also it's kind of cool that you, you're a cool and interesting way that you, you struggle to identify a genre within the music. I think it shows in just the massive amounts of influences that you guys have. Just talking, going around the table, the bands that you've been listening to, from Chili Peppers to Green Day to Classically Trained and Beyond, I think a lot of that stuff shines through. Would you guys be able to pick one major influence for your play style and your singing style? Or is it there too many? Yeah, yeah you dance oh, around no, no, no. the genre question before. We're not going to bother <laughs> trying to say pick one band. <laughs> but like, what would be your greatest, a few of your greatest influences for your individual, like your guitar style, your bass style, and your singing style? <laughs> We've stumped them. My uh, guitar style. Yeah, you got okay. <clears throat> No, my guitar style, um, it definitely is, there's three or four different heavy influences. There's probably four. And one would be the Beatles and kind of a combination of John and George. Um, melodic lines, counter melodies, some little chordal stuff, um, the pretty kind of inflections. So that's like the beatle part of it. And then the Green Day thing, like I said, was like, they were kind of like a gateway band, so I've loved them my entire life. But like the downstroke king of like Billy Joe and James Hetfield too, and like a bunch of other guys, tons and tons of guys. But like um, that kind of like just aggressive, rhythmic, downstroke, relentless thing of Green Day of those bands. And then uh, Megadeth, Dave Mustaine and his kind of like combination of rhythmic lead playing. Um, so kind of the fusion of, from what I'm hearing, just uh, the, the the bombardment of names, <laughs> I'm getting sort of a, uh, a a distinct punk root at the same time, also distinct hardcore roots. Yeah, I mean, I played in hardcore bands. We opened up for a lot of great guys, Agnostic Front and Bane and um, Drowning Man and Converge and like all these bands that I grew up playing with and playing next to and seeing and opening for and uh, all influenced my playing. But it's a combination of like that rhythmic thing. And the melodic pretty thing. So like bands like AFI and Megadeth and Beatles and Green Day and uh, So you're basically Django. You, you're modeling yourself after all my favorite bands. It just So I, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. It's all for you. Everybody I, good. <laughs> Chet Atkins, <laughs> country, like whatever. Like it I feel like the the more broad your palette is, the more you can draw from. But I feel like at its core, like I'm like a heavy metal rhythmic chug. I love to fucking Palm mute and like just <laughs> get the brutality out there. Like at the core, that is my that is my essence. That's that's equally evident in the work as well. Um, <laughs> obviously, you can't pin these th things down to any one member of the band, but it's just like that. That's the fun factor. <laughs> yeah. Um, and our what, third. I mean, I feel like um, me and Ari would get into this conversation uh, fairly regularly about like. Yo, I really hope Mel doesn't get mad at us for turning this <laughs> into like a metal band <laughs> because like we'll, too brutal. we yeah, I mean we'll sit at the studio and like nerd out about Pantera Sabbath like all this like you know Meshuga Gojira like all this <laughs> like really brutal heavy math stuff you know and then it's just like and then like you know personally 
I love Primus and the Chili Peppers, like, um, I don't know. So it's funny that, like, all this stuff, like, comes together. Because, like, even in the way Mel writes songs, it's like, everything's completed, like, as far as a project, like, the overall thing. But we get to really throw our inner flavors into there. So it's really nice to, like, put that extra chug in there or that <laughs> brutal little flavor. Is there a specific female vocalist or male vocalist that has influenced your style of singing? Yeah, um, the two, I mean, I have a couple, but the two that really left their mark the most are uh, um, Freddie Mercury and Gerard Way. And, and it's funny because I can see a lot of that. Like, you talked about Muse and Queen before, which we've actually put in the same sentence many times on the show. For that, like, epic theatrical almost quality to their performance, their music, their singing, and I can definitely get a sense of that, the way you sing from line to line, the way you deliver it, that kind of, we call it the ineffable epic sound that they kind of deliver. Yeah, there's a dynamic factor that, I, I definitely see that that influence there. It comes across in your inflection, which I really love, and I have to say I do love your voice. Thank you. Um, but it's apparent, though, by what you guys are talking about, that there's just such a variety of influences, and I think that's really great. That makes a solid rock band more than anything else is pulling from many places. We often talk about how certain bands that we review just only pull from the same things, and it gets boring, or it's samey, you know. Um, and it's nice to hear a band that's new, that's local, that that plays very intricate and interesting things that are influenced from different places. Well, it makes me want to step over to uh, a track that you're going to have to wait till the end of this podcast for, and that would be The Dreamer, um, specifically because of something you were mentioning a little bit earlier. You mentioned uh, that, you know, that, that vague, epic sound that people try to, try to I, I guess, sort of get at from multiple angles, but in many ways it remains ineffable, and it always will be. But the funny thing is that in this, in, in this track, I detected several different things. Some of it almost goes back to some, uh, you know, influences that I detected in something, some things that you've already mentioned, but also a distinct 70s sound, like these kind of broad ballads that you might get back in the 70s, uh, both from, from the classic rock standpoint and even more of like a piano rock standpoint that would take things a little bit more downplayed, a little bit more closer to home. And obviously it helps that this is an extremely emotional track, but more so than that, this, this perpetual motion, this progressive motion, almost almost pulled from from prog rock where i find these varying sections each of them push the story along and they don't merely have this this uh return to form as as many other tracks do even many other tracks in your own work this seems to be a, a very special case could you tell us a little bit about the the makings of this song dreamer both in terms of, of influence and in terms of obviously emotional value okay well um let me tell you about what the story is about and then I'll tell you kind of how it got written. Um, the story is about... Then the concept album, basically, is about these two people who are destined lovers, but they're also destined to never meet each other. And the only time they ever meet is in their dreams. Um, it's a pretty sad story. I'm already crying. <laughs> it's pretty sad. Yeah, it's actually pretty funny because several times we'll perform this song live and we'll tell people that. We've got this on camera, too. Where like I've explained that to people and people are just like, that's dope. <laughs> 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 yeah, we always usually wind up in some kind of despair on stage, too, at the end of the yeah. song. It's hard not to. We're always like on the floor or just praising Mel. Was <laughs> this a Bjork? <laughs> <laughs> no, almost, sometimes. But, um... 
So, you know, the this particular song is, I don't want to give away the story, but basically it's like closer to the end and things have taken a darker turn for one of the characters. And it's basically kind of like, in, a, in many senses, it's like a, the choruses are supposed to be like this beautiful reminiscent of like a dream. Like, you know, when you like have nostalgia over something that was beautiful, but brings you a lot of pain because it was so beautiful. Cool. I, that's kind of the emotion I was going for in the choruses where it's like a painful memory that you're kind of losing and you're like recognizing that you're losing it as you're slipping away and the verses are supposed to be kind of like you know a realistic look at what's happening and how it's tearing you apart and you know how kind of like when, when things become too much when you're in too much pain that your brain just kind of blocks it out with those pleasant memories just so you can get by mm-hmm. that's kind of supposed to be the experience of this song because it's kind of like a coping mechanism that's that's pretty uh a pretty ambitious notion for you to actually tackle that entire concept just in terms of of, of song and form itself. And, uh, the lyrics are one thing. Uh, many many bands also always try to go for the present their ideas in the lyrics themselves, but to present that in form is, is very ambitious, and I, I applaud you for it. You. <laughs> I also enjoyed the um, the distinct nature you seem to have with the instruments, at least specifically that song where. You kind of get each of them to showcase and connect emotionally with the vocals themselves. I found it to be a lot of fun, and those uh, piano interludes, or I don't know interludes, um, just exposés, the sectional work there, uh, that's where I I really started taking notice. That was a real head-turner for me, because that's where I think I I see just your, maybe not genre-defying nature, but genre-melding nature. Just to purely drop everything out and just to play with those pianos, uh, do you have any inspiration from there? Like, where did you come up with that idea? That's why I was bouncing around p- uh, piano rock, but <laughs> uh, obviously. Well, that originally, the, okay, the song I originally wrote when I was like 14, and the reason why I wrote that song and the reason why I redid this song is because all throughout my life I kind of had these dreams where there was this person that I, you know, I was in love with but I couldn't find them or I had found them but whenever I'd find them they'd just like disappear or I'd wake up immediately and it was really painful and I really hated it a lot. Um, But when I would... So I wrote the song a really long time ago and I revisited it because that kind of theme never left. Um, but when I had originally written the song, it was very, very heavily originally piano based and I wanted to, you know, I felt it didn't have a lot of variety, so I wanted to give it a piano solo, mostly because I wanted to be kind of grandiose. And at the time, I was very influenced by Muse and there was like a Muse song. I mean, I think Muse, they do it a lot, um, but that, you know, that piano interlude is kind of what really grabbed me. But I wanted it to be, when Muse has like piano interlude, it's generally not something that's meant to like change the energy entirely it's more something that's meant to carry it i wanted to really change the energy entirely because the song up to that point is like very heavy very very full it's got all these different parts and all these different harmonies and then you get to this piano part and you're not there's no words there's nothing else there's no other instruments it's just this piano part that's accompanying itself and telling its own story which is an entirely it's complementary to everything that was happening but is a different energy it's at a different speed and it doesn't have anything to do with what's happening before or after it's its own moment which is kind of supposed to be evocative of the the dreams that they would have because when they would be together in their own moments it was really for them and that kind of idea is kind of what I was going for here I, I definitely see it especially in terms of the antithesis to Muse because Muse really does have that 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 pattern of you know as cool as it may be broad as it may be a lot of times the the, the section movement in Muse tends to be very predictable almost it's all born out of the same idea and it's just you know it's this continuing flowing motion it's probably the same piece at the end is when it started in general it's not so much uh, it's not so much a story 
story. It's more like these snapshot concepts. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm usually inter more interested in any piece that goes more toward the story and, and even things that, that seek to, to jar you at times. That's, that's, that's cool stuff. Thanks. <laughs> so when you guys play live, since we were talking before about how you guys kind of end on that note playing this song, that you're kind of like all on the ground, kind of taken out by this song, do you, do you incorporate a lot of theatrics in, in the live performance? Is it part of the energy? <laughs> yeah. And, and if you guys, it could be different songs each or, or the same, is, do you have a particular song that you really love playing live above the others just because you kind of get to let loose the most? Or do you kind of just love playing them all? We probably all have different answers to that. Uh, to answer your first question, we are very theatrical when we play. In fact, every single show we have now is a themed show. So we do different things. Last Halloween show, we had like a Halloween horror thing. We had like burlesque dancers. We were spraying people with blood. And we had like a pirate do a freak show and like nail nails into yeah, his yeah, nose. Wow, cool. We're going to perform our li uh, concept album sometime, probably live running through in the future. We got a birthday show coming up. All of our shows, we're doing like a winter horror land yeah, at some it's point. Gonna be all of our shows have Valentine's. a level of theatricalness yeah. to them. Um, and that extends not just into our themes, but the way that we play. Because, like, Mikey, like, I really don't enjoy that he keeps doing this, but he keeps biting me while we play. Just straight up biting my rib cage, which really hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you know, you. I think what Mel's trying to say here is, is that it hurts, but it, it's important to have this kind of, like, um, thematic thing going on. Like, we did a sideshow for Halloween. That worked out nice. January, uh, well, we're doing my birthday in December, which is, I just can't believe that, you know, I'm just, I feel privileged to be honored by my band who I have in a show. <laughs> but, you know, we're doing, Mel's idea was, like, a, a winter wonderland, so I was like, all right. Um, I dig like the gore and the and the like gore esque type. That's all Mikey. Theatrics. Whenever you see blood on our shit, that is all Mikey. So I'm like horror film land, you know. So we're like we're gonna at Freddy's Bar January third. We're gonna do a, a triage showcase, three awesome bands, and horror movies all night. Okay. Free show. Come have some hot cocoa. Get shot with blood. You know, <laughs> we're gonna like have a haunted house while you watch horror movies. So like. You know, and then as far as the stage, I mean, Ari rips fucking nut solos, so <laughs> we just, you know, we praise that when it goes on, and when Mel has her moments, we make sure that everyone in the band knows that's Mel's moment, you know, and it's it's just kind of like communicating what's going on in the song and, and presenting it to the audience where they want to get involved, and it, it's, because our shows aren't about us, it's about all of us, like... You gotta be engaged, so. So you're taking Halloween, incorporating it throughout winter, and encapsulating it in one day, one show? <laughs> well, I That's, mean, yeah. It's not necessarily yeah. Halloween. <laughs> yeah. uh, a just, haunted house in general, yeah. okay. We just like. The horrific uh, nature of. Uh, well, well, you know, it's more like what we were saying earlier. We're the Justice League of delinquents. Like, mm -hmm. we all have these, like, varied superpowers, and we pull them into this whirlwind of stuff, and we're gonna drag everything in to it and it's going to be a good time to answer your other question earlier that you asked about our main what what did you ask me earlier? it was do you have a favorite song to perform live essentially oh okay uh, <laughs> i think we, we all i figured we all have different answers my favorite song to perform live is a dream reborn because it means the most to me and i get the most into it all right that's a good question i don't know you know each one has a different feeling i mean like Maybe from 
like my hardcore roots, I would say like someone, Satlua, someone out there loves you after all. It's fun because we get to chug it and, and do some good palm muting and some heavy breakdowns. Yeah. Fool's Wager is fun because it's just like a badass rock tune and I get to take a ripping solo at the end. And, you know, when it we're rips. up there, we just, it, it rips it. And, you know, we, get we fall down it. and stuff because we play off each other. You know, if somebody goes down, we all go down and then we're up and then we're running around and we're kind of. It's a shared energy. So certain songs bring out a different type of energy. Dreamer might bring out this more emotional thing. Fool's Wager might bring out the more like, Bumps you know, alpha kind of, oh, let's do it. <laughs> so, you know, we just take you on a journey, basically, is the thing. <laughs> and you're trying to get out of saying you have a favorite, because apparently there are a lot. What well, about you, Mike? Take you on a journey via a Three Stooges routine. <laughs> so that's so yeah. far getting. Well, I mean, no, but, he, but he's right, though, because, like, you know... At the Halloween show, we were we had such a big thing happen. We went over time, and they were like one song left. Oh, we gotta cut Dreamer. Oh, let's do Fools. It. All right, so we this is our last song. We're gonna do Fools. <laughs> in the middle of the song, I looked at him and said, "We're going into Dreamer. Like we're just gonna do it." And right. like even in that snap of an instance, like as performing the song, it really you go into a different place. Like, and that's not just trying to be like artistic about it. Like it it does pull you in a different place and you know I said earlier about the way she paints the picture for the song and allows the individual creativity we identify with it and so my answer is short sick is probably my favorite song because we open with it and it's got this like long intro and then we just like mess with your mind and Mel's not even out yet and I'm not going to give it away <laughs> very cool it sounds like you guys have a really specific and honed live so it's actually exciting to hear that because a lot of bands just kind of turn up and play or it's engaged vocally but maybe not actively it sounds like you guys have a little bit of everything I think since we're talking about theatrics this is a good place to actually listen to your the second track of yours that we're going to feature because it has a music video that I feel is also very theatrical I really enjoyed Brightside's music video because between the random masks in the crowd, random costumes in the crowd, the way you guys are performing on stage, the little party scene that you come through in the beginning, it just really has this dramatic pull for what is essentially more or less a party rock song, but a really solid one with intricacies. But at the core, that's what the emotion you're trying to give. And we will get into it right after we listen to it. Cross my mind, but I have something I feel needs to be said. You used to look with rosy eyes, but now you look so serpentine, and I now know what they mean by walking dead. You used to be so fantastical, now your sunflowers wilted to shadows of sorrow. I used to think you were magical, now you wallow in pity and drown your tomorrow.
should have spot your tongue and it's supposed to be heading to dick Cause I'm so good without you You're an empty show of memories And that's all you'll ever be You used to be just, just like the sun Bright as you were, you cannot Who you burned your Supernova's quite like karma to me It's funny how the tables have turned And I understand that the world is very cruel Cause I learned that lesson from a star girl of the same name And I understand that the world before you changes But the ranges that you seem to bring me shame Brightside, as we were just discussing, by Circadian Clock, who are our guests here. Um, they have not left in the interim. Um, and so, John, you said you had a question actually about the music video for Brightside. Uh, I've, I've watched it a few times now. I I love the feel of it. It's a nice, it's like we said, live setting, but a little bit fantastical. Um, but at the same time, you also have just video footage of your live shows and things like that. I want to know, what was it like doing a video? Because a video is a different sort of beast than actually putting on a show. Is, is there, would you do it again? Do you want to do it the same sort of way? Do you have any ideas from just doing that for some of the new music coming out? Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of concepts about the way we want to do a lot of things. For that one, I really just wanted to be like, I just want people to know, like, we're a fun band and, you know, we're going to take care of you if you come to see us and it's going to be, like, crazy and weird. That was really like my main goal for that. I would happily do it again. And it was a really fun experience getting to do it. And we learned a lot about how these kind of things operate, what timing's really like, what it's really like to get those people out there. Because I had to really, we all had to work really, really hard to get those people to come out there. Because whenever you see like an indie band having like, you know, a music video, like you never really see, whenever they have crowd shots, you never see them having like, you know, a real crowd there. So I was like, no, like I'm going to prepare. I want people to really come out to this because I want it to be worthwhile. Because I want people to be able to look at us and be like, oh, like there's people actually like this, you know? It's it's cred in a way. <laughs> yeah. 
So um, that was really what I was trying to uh, bring across with that. But in the future, I want to go definitely a lot more artsy with some of our videos, just because we got the point across with this. Like, we don't need another party video, because that, that's our party video. Like, you know, it's good. Maybe we'll do another one in the future. It's cool. I would be happy to. But next ones I want to do, I want to get real artsy, and I have a lot of ideas about that. But that'll be, that's a little bit further down the line when I have some more time. Like, maybe next summer I'll, like, release a crazy concept video for the dreamer I've been thinking about. But that's going to take, like... Like, that's going to be, like, two months of filming and, like, so many different locations and, like, makeup. And, like, there's there's so much that has to happen for that to happen. And I'm be really excited to put it together because it's not going to be, like, anything I think pe anyone in my budget range is going to release. Well, that's like, a respectable order order to do things. And also a, a market, a from a marketing standpoint, I think it's also a pretty good order to do things. You know, not just uh, shoot up the avant-garde stuff out of the, out of the gate, but, you know, sort of stagger it. Mm. And uh, you did say that the the album that's coming out, uh, I believe you said next summer. Can I put you on air? Okay, um, that is more of a concept uh, a concept album than just the music you've done, uh, like the uh, uh, LP was. You're looking more to create a, a running theme throughout it. So I think just doing a more artistic approach would just befit it, uh, befitting to the piece itself. I mean. I know that you poured a lot of your heart into into the a lot of the music that you produced here. I I don't think you should shortchange it at all. Um, what was the the shoot experience itself like? Okay, well, <clears throat> I was late. <laughs> I was there first. I was really <laughs> early. You, we were early. As, yeah, yeah. So I got breakfast. stuck in traffic. <laughs> I took um, a nap. We had a rider. I didn't even take advantage of that. I showed up my own breakfast, and they're like, yeah. oh, we got Coffee, breakfast, like, oh. Donuts and shit, I had already eaten a bagel. That's how you know it's legit, like, we showed up, and there were, like, really nice, expensive cameras, and there was breakfast for us, and we're like, ooh. ooh. <laughs> but there was, like, a whole actual crew. It was interesting, because it's, like, up to this point, like, a lot of the stuff we've done, except for our studio work, which is really legit, um, had been, like, you know, very do-it-yourself, yeah, you know, Rock and roll, you know baby. New York, Brooklyn, kind of do-it-yourself mm -hmm. attitude. Um... But this, like, we hired, like, an actually, like, legitimate filming company, and it was really cool to see how that worked, because, you know, there was a whole crew there, they had a plan, they had, like, a binder that was just, like, an outline of all the things, and the scenes, and the exact script, and how they wanted to do it, and they had, you know, this, all this amazing equipment, the way they set it up, you know, their plan for their shooting, the scenes, when they are going to do things, you Dollies. Know. Yeah, yeah, they had a dolly and everything. Multiple dollies. We, yes. we had time to go drink. In the time, time to leave because they had to set up the next shot. Oh, so yeah. we get... I mean, we're just gonna go do a thing over there. And like, <laughs> sounds like supposed... red carpets are next. Honestly, I don't know, because <laughs> that would be fun if we could just like, yeah, let's just bypass all this. No. But, like, that was a lot of fun. Um, but it was interesting having to work with some, someone else's structure because they had, like, this is our, we are a company that you've hired us for the service. We are going to do these things. And I was like, okay. And I was mostly pretty happy with it. We lost a couple of scenes because of the weather. Like, you know, it was, like, on and off again, like, just straight up storms. Like, it'd be really sunny and then it'd just fucking rain. And we had a lot of equipment, so every time it rained, we had to, like, you know, like, take down all of our equipment. And then we had to set it up again later. And uh, that cost us a couple scenes, but you know, overall, you know, I'm happy with what we 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 accomplished our mission with it. And but it let us learn a lot of things about you know the way that we might want to work in the future. Like what it gave me an idea for like you know what I want to do is like a professional production versus what I want to do is like an indie do-it-yourself video kind of thing. Like I think for Brightside, I definitely want to do that more indie do-it-yourself. You know, I want to keep the quality, but I want that to be a lot more free-flowing and you know more like you know kind of. 
something that makes you question kind of what's going on and make you question like why are these things related why is this happening you know um, and a lot of the times when I write my music I want people to have to question it and get more involved like I want you to listen to it and be like that wasn't enough I need more and once you've conveyed the concept to the director uh, it, it is the storyboarding process generally their field from that point on or are you sort of involved like as you go every step I'm real away? nosy <laughs> <laughs> as you as you're right was it a single day shoot yeah. So it was all one day? How yeah. long? How many hours? Uh, we were supposed to get there at like 9 o'clock in the morning, and we yeah. finished at like 9. Uh, we, the, so cops shut us, the cops, the cops shut, shut us down, down at 9. Down. Oh, oh man, that was so came. perfect. Were you guys actually playing, and so they came in because of a noise complaint? Or? Well, we were been playing all day, but they had been complaining. The neighbors crowd complained. complaint, actually. Yeah, it was it more was of a crowd complaint, because there we had so many people there, but because of the scenes, we sometimes needed them all to be down, you know, in the main area. Sometimes we needed them to be outside. And then, like, we told them, like, no, don't drink, don't crowd the sidewalk well there was like 50 70 people there so like we couldn't control all of them so some of them were smoking on the sidewalk you know um so but yeah <laughs> no but so i was actually like um we so you know the cops showed up earlier in the shoot too maybe in the middle of the afternoon and like the ad direct uh, deflected them you know somehow he was he was slick. he's really good and he got the them cops. to just kind of the cops to kind of like be like, all right we're cool we're cool we're cool and right as i was leaving i had to bust out like late afternoon to get to another gig the primary shooting was done and uh, and I was on my way out, and I saw this NYPD officer on the opposite side of the street, just kind of like checking out. There was a, the whole crowd was out there, like 50, 70 people, and she's kind of like just looking. She kind of says something into her thingy, and I got in a cab and I went to my gig. Within ten minutes, shoots over. Everybody go home. The thing's done. I was like, yes, I just missed it. The weight of the people is cracking the sidewalk. Yeah, yeah. So I just missed the uh, encounter. I felt terrible too because I bought like. I bought everybody pizza twice throughout the event, but I also bought like 264 beers. I bought so much beer because I was like, there's 70 people, 256 beers is enough free beer for everybody. Right. And I bought all of that and like, then the cops shut us down. So I just started giving it away and then I brought like a whole bunch of cases up to my roof and I was like, everybody who feels like traveling all the way to Washington Heights is more than welcome. So then we partied on my roof and it was like raining and nobody cared. Like we just drank in the rain on my roof, but it stopped raining after a while, but we had a really good time. I mean, it wouldn't be rock and roll if the thing gets shut down. You know? Yeah, that's the main thing when we were rocking out. And that was like really, this lineup's yeah, that was like really a, first kind of chance to get up and rock for the oh, yeah? rock for the people, you know. Yeah. Like we haven't we, played a show not officially, no, no. so like that was our first taste of the energy. So like a lot of the shots that we shot, um, like because the weather was so inconsistent, um, you know, and things didn't go according to plan. Like we were shooting to the track, and then we kind of shot a lot of stuff where we just were kind of just we were playing for real. Yeah, and they sunk it up to the track later, and so like the energy that we're having, the interaction that we're having with the crowd is like. It's authentic and it's new and it's fresh and it was our first time experiencing that so everybody was really juiced up the band the crowd and so especially Doug especially Doug because he kicked I think it was Doug that kicked, kicked the stage right we were talking about how the stage was kind of uh, shaky uh-huh. this motherfucker goes to do like a jumping spin move kung fu Mortal Kombat thing kicks the stage and it was just like for a for a flash of a second, I thought it was, it was gonna die. You were just all gonna die. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I remember. Right? Yeah, but we survived it. We weathered it. But oh, it was scary. I was up there and just like rocking out west and like everybody, and it was like you know 
the first time we got to share a stage, we did like some studio rehearsal, like, okay, you know, this is like, this was going to be our like culmination that this is circadian clock. So we all got to share a stage together for the first time and we all rocked so hard that everyone was like, yo, don't move so much. <laughs> don't stop. Like, don't, just, it was like Elvis, don't move below the pelvis. Yeah, I had to like crab walk around the stage and like we were all like in our corners. And you could tell it was hard for us because like every time they were like, okay, no, seriously, you have to stop moving. Like you're in danger. We'd be like, okay. And then we'd stop. But then we keep going. <laughs> yeah. and we'd well, it's like I've had that experience. You know, when you tell someone who's being too loud to be quiet. They'll get quiet for a little while and then just get excited and get really loud again. Like, I'll have conversations about something I'm really excited about and I'll start quiet and then next thing I know I'm shouting at the person I'm talking to. Or you it's tell that someone energy. To, yeah, you tell someone to relax and they, they just get they, mad at you. Yeah. They're like, angry. <laughs> it's, just... it's like, I'm relaxed, bro. Yes, unfortunately we couldn't have you at uh, Studio 2J today <laughs> yes. performing. But, um, okay, I want to run back to something else here. Uh, songwriting, because that's sometimes the most important thing here. Uh, we are rarely lucky enough to have uh, not just the primary songwriter, but also all of the musicians present. Um, I would like to speak specifically to both of you guys, considering that you have to many times cater to the work that is coming from hers truly. <laughs> what often goes on here? Is she laying it down for you, or do you very often improvise as you go forth and what what degrees of each takes takes place mel has um a vision that is often very clear obviously and uh so it's not so much that we're writing to the song as much as we're kind of just we're 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 contributing it's like a creative process but at the same time you know, we're coloring in between the lines, like... Well, let's talk about specifics here. Okay. Essentially, when the work is introduced, uh, do you go, go forth and, and, and deliver, like, a lead sheet, let's say, or is it really just as you practice, sort of keep these sections in mind, start building your memory as you go, and then from there, creativity takes place? Normally, really trying to get into the nitty gritty. <laughs> normally, I give these guys like a demo of like what I like of the song, and then we like you know they'll take it and then they'll bring what you know what they want to bring to it afterwards. But um, it's very much um, a demo in the form of um, like, a, like demo. a recording. Like I'll go, I'll sit down myself, I'll lay down some vocals, I'll record guitar and bass myself because I can play a little. She could play like Prince uh, over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I mean. I don't want to cut you off. No, we, uh, you know, it, like Ari said, Mel has this very clear idea, which is for what we need to do more effective than having parts written. So, like, Mel will be like, "This is the part that sounds like." I mean, if like, all right, so like, if you're familiar with jazz, right? So, like, this is the part that's like the head. And, like, the head will be completely figured out. So, meaning, like, the melody and the structure and the form and the overall picture. But then after the head happens, you have to vary it so it's interesting every time. And that's where we get to live. Mm. So, like, um, I think the, the one of the most recent examples I could think about is the new song, Sick. Mm. And it's, like, this really cool 6-8 thing. And it was, like, you know... 
Mel had the whole picture done, and then it was like, here are the chords, this is what it is, like, very concrete, but then it's like, Ari comes in, and he's like, well, here's all the stuff I have to say about this structure, and then I'm like, here's how I can complement that picture. So it's like, that was like that particular approach. Yeah. We've worked for months on Sick. Yeah. Um, which is a great song that we're really looking forward to sharing with everybody, mm-hmm. which you can hear live, but the recording, you know, it's it'll be on the record. Detailed. It's detailed, and we spent months and months rehearsing it, and we still tweak it to a little bit. Like So it's the kind of thing where, you know, we, we know what we're going for. We know what the song, Mel came in and recorded the demo with a click track and no accompaniment. Just, just her with the click track, and she sang it, perfect pitch, humble, blah blah blah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's in B major, uh, you know, blah blah blah. And so she just sang it to the click track, and then we just started kind of filling it in, rehearsing it, playing it live. Some of it is like I'd like to adopt. Um, I was recently in New Orleans, and I had a trial by baptism, trial by fire. Uh, baptism, baptism by, by fire. fire. Thank you. With Charmaine Neville of the Neville family. Uh, I was playing up on stage with them. and So it's kind of a culmination of rehearsal slash baptism by fire because, I mean, we come together in the studio and we go over ideas and we and we flesh them out together. Um, and then we go into the studio, you know, and I mean, personally, like I've been working in production and engineering and session work for the last four years. So it's like I almost have been condition to see things in a Pro Tools session. Like, mm. I can't conceptualize a song until I look at it with markers in Pro Tools, and then we go and play it live, you know, and then you gotta kind of get a feel for what the crowd likes and what the band feeds off of, and so it's a combination of Mel's vision, our vision as a collective, you know, what the vibe is in the studio, what the vibe is live, and we just build from there. I got a follow-up question to that. Um, considering you're talking about the meticulous nature of, of the uh, of the process, here's here's a question I'd love to ask almost any musician that we have on. Is there a lot of improvisation in your work, and how much? Because so far, I'm getting a lot of meticulous nature. And a lot of times, we get a lot of improvisers, where it's very much, you know, ah, it's meticulous eventually, whenever we get around to it. But a lot of times, it's just, you know, that pulling straight from the sky as we go. So... What degree? For me, if I just may just continue my... I, I, I'm like both, really. Okay. Like, like, when it comes to, like, a, a main part, like, in the end, I want that part to be the part. And that's the part, and that's what I'm playing, and it's beautiful, and it's doing its job. Hmm. But it sometimes takes a while to get there. So I might think of it on my own for a while, and I might let it marinate. It's my famous thing. I let it marinate for a while. And, you know, and then I play it in rehearsal, and I play it live. And then sometimes some other things just happen, you know? I mean, I feel like um, composition is a greater strength for me than improvisation, but it is a combination of the two. And it, very often when, when you sit to let it marinate, does it ever turn at any point? <laughs> Sour? Yes. No, it's always fresh. Always fresh. It's always freshy fresh. That's, well, yeah. that's impressive. I mean, um, to just speak to what Ari's saying, it, it's probably the identical process on my side which is like comforting to know never had this conversation before um you know and um, bonding that's just nice yeah, it, it's it's like you have to improvise all the time you have to but if you're gonna put that thing on an album and you gotta cut it like we're still like the beautiful thing that we have at Nightlife is we get to re- play we get to rehearse we get to record and then listen back 
and in, in my prior experience with bands, I've never had the listening back and then being able to go re-record. So, you know, you learn by reflection and just improvising till you get to that point where you're happy with the part is kind of where um, I lie with this whole creation. And I'm extremely meticulous. Um, I'm spontaneous in the way that I record in that generally I'm never, I almost never am trying to compose on purpose. I'm normally like doing something else and then my brain's just like, oh, here's a bunch of ideas. So then I like, you know, try to write it down as quick as I can and I store it and then later I'll bring it back and then I'll like elaborate, I'll, you know, expand upon that. But when I expand upon it, then I become very meticulous and I'm like, these exact notes much match up here. Here's the rhythm I want because it accentuates this. Like I think about every detail I can possibly conceptualize about to make it as good as I can. That's in within my power. And then I give it to these guys because, you know, like I'm okay at the guitar, but Ari's amazing guitar. I would rather Ari come up with Ari's guitar arrangements unless I have something very specific in mind that needs to happen for a certain section for a very specific reason. Otherwise, I want Ari to handle it. Same thing with the bass. You know, Mike is a much, much better bass player than I am, so I'd rather leave them in, you know, the specifics in their wheelhouse, but I want to give them like a general close enough idea unless there's a very specific reason why. But I'm pretty meticulous myself. I, I was tempted to call that in the beginning, but uh, you know, no one needs to gloat. But obviously, the, the delegation right there was, was the premise under which I started this whole thing with. And I, I think that fills in a lot of gaps because a lot of people don't know how, 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 bands, how b- bands function and sort of work, work their parts together. And I think it's always, uh, always good to share. But then, of course, there's, there's always a lot of different band styles. I mean, I, I was constantly surrounded by jam bands back in college. And that's uh, almost the antithesis of everything that you guys Thank mentioned. You. So, well, uh, <laughs> I mean... Part of, to continue that, part of it is like when you have the part and you record it and it's done and it is the part, sometimes it's fun to then improvise on that and mm. take that part and kind of take it into another place. Oh, as a, as a uh, I didn't say I enjoyed that. <laughs> I just want to say that, that I was surrounded yeah, yeah, yeah. incidentally by a lot of that can be the most frustrating bands. thing because there's some bands where, you know, they have this beautiful song and it's like, that is one of the most amazing, you know, and then they perform it live and they want to improvise on it to such a degree that you're like, I don't what is this? This is not the song anymore. Exactly. They you know, sort of so. run away with with their idea and they yeah. get so in love with it that, you know, what happened to the idea in the end? Yeah, where's the song? Interesting. I think it's apparent in your work, hands down, that there's this collaborative po- process on another level. I mean, I've listened to a lot of music both through this podcast and just in life. I've been listening to music since I could get my hands on records. Um, but I, I hear something in this band that I've not really heard a lot before, whereas there's this emotional level and connection that that you get just from hearing the music. Like you talking before about how grateful you were to find these guys and that you wanted people who took the music seriously. And like, I mean, pre-show and between takes, you guys are joking around. We're saying stupid stuff and having a great time. But I see it when you guys talk about the music. There's this fire in your eyes. That, that it's clear that this is something that means a lot to you and that I think that's that's the thing that's going to take you to that next level with this band, with the music, and with whatever you do going forward. And, of course, the camaraderie therein. Like, yeah. for instance, when I started that whole spiel, you know, there are a lot of bands, and I could even hear, you know, this, like, as you go through that delegation process, that's all very often where it breaks down, uh, like in many cases, in the handing-off process. That's, that, that's the biggest reveal you can possibly do, is say, hey, this is my idea. Now you work with it, you know, and and if you can, that shows a lot of uh, it's a lot of strength and character, I think. I mean, you know, um, you know, just as Mel has said, like, you know, thankful to have found us. I, I 
I honestly feel, and I'm sure Arya could speak to the same volume, that I'm happy to find Mel. Like, this this has been a very... And Ari too. Like, uh, this has been a uh, triage of, like, collaboration that has been very important to me. And um, as far as, like, from, like, a writing perspective, Mel said, you know, we're, we're getting a debut, a song of, like, mine on December 19th, but it it's not a song of mine. It's a song of ours because, like... You know, yeah, I just, all I did was say, okay, Mel, I have this picture and a bass line and a chord progression. And then Mel says, okay, I see your picture and I'm going to, like, make it my vision. And Ari says the same shit to me. So it's, like, it's really a a, um, all-encompassing circle of collaboration with these guys you have to kind of pull back and see the vision as the most important thing yeah so basically anything anything published under the under the circadian clock name has to reach a certain standard (laughs) yeah we do well together because we want to win together and Mm -hmm. you don't love i think a lot of the arguments when you have bands when they're writing and you know when band arguments come from the fact that something that's more than the something that's more than you know each it's when you have troubles in bands it's because one member is trying to make it more about them than the band itself and when you have a person who's like well i want to do this and this isn't what i want to do but we are way more concerned you know like when we're writing every single time we're writing we're always, we're always like is this okay is this what you guys want to do like we always check in you know because we want to make sure that everyone's you know getting what they want and we have a lot of good communication with each other it's like those five minutes of just caring about the other person's opinion can often make the make the difference mm-hmm. and, and, and like not even just the care factor but it's like i mean so out of out of the three of us i'm definitely the least educated like uh i've just never i i just learned how to read music like three years ago like but you know it's like i have all these grandiose ideas just because i'm i've been playing for as long as they have too so it's like you know if there's ever like a a disconcern and it's like well why i don't really agree with that it's like well proof 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 reason reason logic logic and that goes like on all sides of it like you know uh, mike you gave away my note with that baseline so don't play it all right i respect that or i feel like i can develop this here with this line even though maybe you don't know about this part okay let's hear it you know like it's like a constant like exchange sure well just to what you said about reading music i mean you could do a lot worse than having only learned it three years ago i mean i speaking as a bassist uh you know you probably are familiar with jaco pistorius i mean yeah i mean he 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 learned very late in life all things considered and and he's still considered the best of the best lots of guys west montgomery he was like what's a c yeah (laughs) i'm like i it's that one. Lots of people but, learn by ear and just kind of go I with mean, it as long as they can. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not a great reader. We're not just none of us. Anybody, you know, I don't think yeah. any of us would ever argue the point that like you know you need to go to music school to understand music and only real musicians go to conservatory because that's not true. No, no, it's no, just no. not. Uh, it certainly helps some people. Some people yeah. get stuck though. Like I know a lot of classic musicians that are fantastic players, but they're really stuck in this. This is the way that things are, and this is the ultimate form. And really, what that does is prevent them from growing and really bothering to think and expand. Like, well, okay, how can I find value in this? You know, what other tools do I have available to myself? And I think a lot of classic musicians get really stuck like that, which is why I was kind of turned off from that uh, the classic world because for a long time I thought I was going to be a classical violinist like I'm going to become a performing violinist and if I practiced more I probably could do okay but like 
it just you know to be stuck doing just that this ancient form of music that is beautiful but isn't everything I'm more interested in doing something that I feel is closer to everything I feel like with with um, with a what you're talking about with the band though it comes down to it being a relationship you're all in a relationship together that has to thrive and communication is the most important thing and it sounds like you have no struggle with that I mean that's why we've been doing this podcast for as many years as we've been doing it it's communication it's adjustment it's understanding and it's moving forward and anything artistic requires that it's a team man yeah that's it there's a lot to be said about um musicians versus athletes and jock culture versus musician culture but like when it comes down to the team dynamic of everybody having a role and a specific thing that they're going to do to to greater the team and move everything forward and having a big collective Blah blah blah, blah 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 team. Like, <laughs> yeah, you can really dive into the analogy and see it through. Like, so and that's just, what we are. Just yeah. put a cap also on the on the education factor. I I, I, I definitely see what you say in terms of, of what uh, classical musicians often often try to impart. But at the same time, I, I think probably that one of the best reasons for even going to school for that kind of thing is really just to obtain knowledge. Like, in, not in terms of the actual the, the details themselves, but to hear the variety of all the stuff that there is out there in the world. That way, you hear as much as you can, and that way you have the the, the widest uh, the widest selection with which to pick what you like best and what you think needs to be furthered or what you in in your best abilities can possibly further i mean i know actually in my experience just going to school for music theory and composition uh i but i i think probably the lasting effect that that had on me apart from simply just uh you know from learning the details and, and from learning all the the grunt work was really just perhaps one name from one teacher one composer go look that up led to a whole tree of other different artists, which I wanted to kind of like, you know, learn their work and try to follow that. So it's really all just about, you know, the artists themselves, not necessarily the actual education that you can, anyone can probably do themselves if they wish. And I just want to, I have to ask one question because, well, your bandmates are touting this. When are we going to hear some of your violin work? Are we going to get some of that violin? Thursday. Yeah. Thanksgiving, dogs. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we, we recorded a, uh, an acoustic set at Eminem Studios uh, because of a very kind man named uh, Rich who works at Eminem and a good friend of mine named Gene that I met through the Chris Gethard Show, which is an awesome public access comedy show that you should really be watching. Very it's awesome. Fantastic. Um, but... I, we did an um, acoustic set there a little while ago, and it'll be premiering on MNN at, um, it'll be online live. I don't know exactly what time yet, um, but it'll be airing on Thanksgiving. Um, so you can check that out online, you know, find us on Facebook a little bit later, and we'll post up more details about that. But And we'll also be posting the link up online, too. But if you want to watch it like fresh, it'll be on Eminem on Thursday. But we'll it'll be online soon. But we had right. an acoustic set, and uh, you know Ari's playing guitar, Mike's playing bass, I'm singing, and then I also busted out my violin for a little bit of variety. On fools, right? Fools yeah. wager. Yeah. yeah, at the end of the do do a little solo. The so official little... recording, I'm taking the guitar solo, blah blah blah. But on the acoustic version, it's Mel taking the fiddle solo, and it's she rips it. I mean, <laughs> where we have plans on doing more varied kinds of sets with up the next year. Um, we're gonna keep this themed party thing going. We have uh, like it was we were talking about before this horror movie festival type horror winter wonderland at Freddy's January third. We have a Valentine's Day party at uh, the Black Bear, and we're, we're rocking for good too. We're supporting women's rights, 
and all that kind of thing so we're really trying to like use like music is so important all of us i feel like it's not just it's creative expression and our vision and then also doing good for the world around us so you know just stick with us and we got you on yeah, some like, tunes and parties on halloween we raised uh, money towards the ebola outbreak in actually africa yeah where it matters exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> and uh, you know we're in affiliation with legit organizations too so it's like um, we're getting good bands and good um, publicity, and um, the money that we're raising from everybody is going towards what we say it is. And that's great because that doesn't always happen. You don't always know where your money's going, and it's 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 refreshing to hear younger artists. Because just based on the conversation we've had, I can say you guys are at least a little bit younger than we are. Um, but it's nice to hear that you guys actually care about these issues, and your f- and and whether they're the issues that everyone cares about, they're issues you care about, and ultimately that really matters. And it's a strong thing to do, you know. There are tons of artists that I've interviewed recently within the last couple of months who have either done a song towards women's rights or towards rights in general or gay rights or whatever it is. It's you're fighting for that thing that matters to you, and I think that's really important and really great to know. Um, so you're mentioning all your gigs. I want to give you guys a chance to kind of promote. So you say you're gigging. Let's go down the list, December, January, February. Mention the, the gigs and the dates and the time so the people, the local New Yorkers who listen can go and check the, out those shows. Okay, December 19th, we are headlighting The Bitter End. We'll be on at 11. It's Mikey's birthday show. Blinker Street, Bitter mm-hmm. End. Next show after that. Next show after that is at Freddy's Bar and Grill in Park Slope on 5th Avenue. We're going to have our Horror Fest. January. So, January 3rd, 9 o'clock. Um, after that, January 24th at the Way Station. Uh, after that, February 14th at the Black Bear. We're going to be doing a uh, Valentine's Day V-Day Massacre. Um, we're going to be raising money for women's rights because we believe in powerful women yeah. and powerful families. V-Day. V-Day. Be there. Black Bear on Bedford Avenue, North 6 in Bedford, 8 o'clock show. Sister Helen's going to be playing with us. TBA. It, it's going to be crazy. Um, I, and also, after that, I believe we have something else. Um, we have something else. All right. Well, that's a nice list There's of shows more. to start. But we're um, doing parties, and, and like, you know, we're also doing giveaways too during our the- thematic parties. So at the Harland and the Valentine's Day show, you're going to be able to um, participate in contests to win tattoos and band merchandise. So, Very and cool. other things as well. And three years from now, NSG. You know, yeah, probably. sure. That's the plan. That's yeah. the goal. Let's just just a little I guess. Yeah. There, you know? I kind guess. of patient. Yeah. Just remember <laughs> us little people when you're at MSG. Just send us a couple tickets. That's all we ask. I don't for. even need a badge. I don't need a backstage badge. I just want a ticket. Um, and so the goal for the new album, the concept album that is currently still untitled, um, will come out this summer. Is the goal? Great. Um, and we'd love to have you back next year in 2015 f- in the summertime around when the album comes out to promote it. We'd love to come yeah. back. Um, or it's earlier for the anal- analysis process. Yes, maybe yeah, we'll like, your choice. Like, like with, a, with, a, with a preview of that album, too. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, speaking of previews, our final track before we go into the wrap-up, I just want to introduce it proper, is the song we've been mentioning, The Dreamer Reborn, is the track name? Yeah. The Dreamer Reborn. Um, which is, this is not the final draft. This is, they're gracing us with a track that's almost complete, but they want to get it out there, get you guys to hear it. And 
honestly, I think it sounds freaking amazing. Yeah, so. that was my first question. Uh, are you guys really not done with it? <laughs> not done. And, and so that's what we're going to close out on because um, I, I really want that track to be the whole note because... You know, the redux of Brightside has all of you guys on, and then of course this song we started with was with the original lineup, but this song is really you guys. This is where you guys are in the studio working together, making this record, so I wanted that to be the end note for the podcast. Before we get into you reading our closing, um, Steve, I would like for you to give us our spam mail of the week. Of course, as always. Spam! This is a far cry from the inexpensive car listing of below $1,000. Why doesn't the condition of California fix the drinking water pipe infrastructure in Southern California? Well, then we indicates that you try logging online. By... By Ubumaru TV. Ubumaru? Uh, dot com uh, slash uh, profile. This is Ubumafu monkey's dead. Um... But... <laughs> nope, nope, no analysis, John. Like, wait, Not letting it happen. That was no, three was different ideas. reacting to Zabufu. You can't even really? say it. Zulu Kotan yeah, MU. Like, <laughs> you know about Zulu, right? That's sad. Zulu. Wait, Zumba? No, Zabumafu. <laughs> can we do some Zumba? <laughs> We're not doing Zumba. Yeah, I'm trying to increase my course rate. Man, go exercise in your own time. You're not making me exercise. Okay. Um, Steve, um, before we finally wrap up, what's your pick for next week? My pick for next week is Seeds by TV on the Radio. I am wearing their shirt. Because I saw them once uh, back in 2009, and I was quite a fan of this band, going all the way back to the very first album, Desperate Youth, Bloodthirsty Babes, as of 2004. It's one of my favorite albums of all time. Successively, as they matured and got happier in life... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I, they perhaps have fallen out of grace although I can't confirm this I think they still delivered fun songs but perhaps not wild, as wildly unique as I encountered on their uh, excuse me 2004 album Desperate Youth Bloodthirsty Babes and even their preceding EP Young Liars but they're older perhaps more experienced let's, let's talk about the positive things and hope for the best for Seeds which will air the following week. Fuck getting happy. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, in closing, I want to thank the three of you for coming on. I'm sorry your other bandmates couldn't make it. Hopefully next time we'll get the whole fiver. Um, but pass on my respect and love to them. I think you guys are a fantastic band. You do great work. And I'm very excited for this album. Um, if you would do me the pleasure of closing out our podcast with our tagline. Sure, man. Music, Music is, is life. life. Life is, is good. good. I'm blind. I got what I paid for. I liked it better when you lied. You said I'd never have to say goodbye. Oh, I can't save the world. I'm just a hapless jester with bad intention, but smile. You made it all worthwhile. I'm not sure, are you a victim of my memory? You've been nothing but good to me But the sun is not so kind It's in a terrace apart and lay behind These star jump nights that never stay But never seem to fail
True.